0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. In those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. They did not know until the flood came and carried them all away. So it will be also at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be out in the field, One will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day your Lord will come. Be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, he would, not have stayed, he would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. So too, you also must be prepared, for at an hour you do not expect, the Son of Man will come. The Gospel of the Lord. Every year, it seems, on January 1st, with the turning of the secular New Year, one of the things that people speak about are their New Year's resolutions. And what normally happens by January 2nd? We've already broken them. Curiously, curiously, on this first day of the new liturgical year, we speak of resolutions as well. You all just did, and you did it by saying your Amen to the opening prayer. Pay attention over these weeks of Advent to the words of the Collect, the opening prayer of our liturgies, because they're very important for understanding just how this holy season works. Because we asked for the grace to be resolved to make a resolution to do something. And so we begin with that idea of a resolution of being resolved. Because while we know in the world around us New Year's resolutions are made and set aside on a regular basis, a resolution, the notion of being resolved is not a desire to have so fragile a commitment as that. To be resolved is to be firm. To be resolute is to make a commitment to something. And isn't it amazing how we use these words without the commitment that's required? In fact, when one reads, across the centuries, different manuals of growth in the spiritual life. And this is what I do in my spare time. Um, The, one of the curious things that comes up time and time again from missionaries who spent time hearing confessions and preaching for the renewal of the church would speak about one of the single biggest obstacles that happens even in celebrating the sacrament of confession. Which is not the unwillingness to confess our sins, we're actually pretty good at that. It's the fact that when the act of contrition comes, we say those words, I firmly resolve to sin no more, without any firmness in our resolve. And so, what do we do? On the one hand, we repent, we say we're sorry, but we make no commitment to being different, no commitment to being better because our resolution isn't real. It's a word, but there's no firmness of purpose. And so what happens? We commit the same sins over and over and over again, and we shrug our shoulders wondering why it happens that way. And so note how at the beginning of the liturgical year, every single year, the prayer for the first Sunday of Advent doesn't change. It begins with our asking for the grace to be resolved to make a firm commitment to do something. And everything in the liturgy today is at the service of unpacking and preparing us to make that commitment and then over these next 28 days to try to grow in that commitment. But note that we ask for the grace to do it because we understand how easy it is for us to lay aside our promises, how easy it is for even what we believe to be our firmest commitments to become blunted if we're not careful. So we ask for the grace of God at the beginning of the season, for the grace to commit ourselves to something specific. And we'll get to the specific of that in just a few minutes. because there's a common misconception about the season of Advent, which has a double character to it. It is on the one hand, the period of time that the people of God sets aside to prepare itself to celebrate worthily and well the Christmas mysteries. But let's be careful about what that means. We are not preparing for the birth of Jesus. That happened 2,000 years ago, if you weren't paying attention. We are not preparing for the birth of Jesus. We are preparing to celebrate the anniversary of the birth of the one who has, in fact, saved us. We are preparing for the fact that we are celebrating the birth the anniversary of the birth of the Lord who has already died for us, already risen for us. And so we celebrate the birth of one who has already come. And know what that means. We are celebrating then the fact that there was a day when he who saved us first allowed the light of his face to shine physically upon our world and that's what happened on Christmas. But in celebrating this first appearance of the beautiful light of the saving face of Jesus, we are reminded that it is still our prayer to this day, Lord, let your face shine upon us and we shall be saved. And we long for that great and even more glorious day when the Lord will come not in a stable, not in the silence of night, not anonymously and not silently, but openly, visibly manifest in which the light of his presence will dispel all the darkness of this world. And that's the second aspect of Advent. We allow our preparing to celebrate the birthday of the one who is already victorious, to be our model for how we likewise prepare ourselves to meet him when he comes again in his fullness. Because that is what we look forward to. Advent is that great season where that line from the Our Father, Thy kingdom come, is the drumbeat of our prayer the drumbeat of our preparation, the drumbeat, the heartbeat, of what we are about as a church. Turning to the Lord and longing for that day when he comes in his glory. And when we recognize that, we have to be careful that we do not fall into a certain trap. Advent is not four weeks in the waiting room, waiting for Jesus. It is not four weeks in the waiting room waiting for Christmas. You've all been in waiting rooms before, right? With the old magazines and the extended times. And the appointment you were given is never the one you actually get. And our experience of the waiting room is one of frustrated passivity, isn't it? We're sitting in the chair, we're looking around at all of the other people who are likewise waiting, likewise bored out of their minds. We share a common frustration, but the last thing we find ourselves in the waiting room is fulfilled in any way. And there's a certain helplessness about it, because we're on somebody else's schedule and he's always running late. But there's nothing we can do about it except wait. And it is a very easy thing for the Christian heart to fall into that trap about Advent. Advent is the time where we quiet ourselves and we wait. And the minute we do that, we get Advent wrong. Because Advent is not the season of sitting quietly and waiting. And our readings today remind us of that just as our collect does. Note what the Lord says. When I come, when the Son of Man returns, it's going to be like something that happened centuries and centuries earlier. And he says, it will be like what happened with Noah. And what happened in the day of Noah? The world ended. Note how the Lord is speaking When the Son of Man comes, it's going to be like the world coming to an end, but nobody realizes it. And he uses that bold and dramatic example because when he comes in his glory, certain things are coming to an end. Creation is going to be brought to its completion. Evil will be purged away from the world forever and for good. And so something is going to happen that affects the entirety of the created order when he comes again. But the interesting thing was the Lord says, the end of the world was coming. The flood was coming. But in the world toward which the flood was moving, everybody just went about their business. Eating and drinking, Marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, living as if it would never happen. Living as if this world was forever. Living as if there is no urgency to convert, no urgency to change, because there's always another day. Falling asleep in their selfishness falling asleep in their wickedness because there was a reason why the flood came and it wasn't because everybody was so good. But the world had grown numb and was unable to recognize the self-indulgence, the greed, the selfishness, the violence, the indifference into which it had fallen and with which it had numbed itself. So what does Jesus say? And it happened like that up until the day Noah and his family had all the animals together and they got into the ark and closed the door. And there was even the sign of this odd man collecting his zoo, there was even the sign of this odd man building his boat. But it was so easy to ignore because that's just strange, Noah. That's for him. And whatever he's feeling in his heart, let him do it, but it doesn't affect us. And so what happened? Noah enters the boat, the rain comes down, and know what the Lord says, and it washed them all away. In their complacency and in their lack of awareness, they are swept away, never to be heard from again. And then Jesus says, and my coming is going to be like that. And that should give us pause as we hear him speak this way. As the Lord says, my return is going to be similar in that everyone's going to assume I've got another day. There's plenty of time that I can get around to it later or that it doesn't apply to me or that oh, Jesus is good, he wouldn't do that. All of these ways we give ourselves permission not to move, to fall asleep, to in a sense, sit passively in the chair in the waiting room. And the Lord says, but the day is gonna come and it is gonna be a surprise, it is going to be sudden, it is going to come out of nowhere, it will be unexpected. For everybody. And that is a remarkable statement. God at least told Noah, get in the ark today. But the Lord says, when I come, everybody's going to be caught by surprise. He looks at his disciples. At a moment you don't expect it's going to happen. What a remarkable statement that is. No one knows. No one's going to be able to predict it. However much somebody wants to mind the obscure passages of the Bible, they are never going to determine the day, the hour, and the moment of his coming. It will be unexpected for everyone. And as the Lord says that, then he says, so you need to do something, which is you need to be ready. In other words, we can't just sit passively and wait and assume that when our name is called, we will be ready. Stay awake, he says. Don't fall asleep in a certain complacent and numb passivity. You need to be awake. And this then is why St. Paul, writing in our second reading, likewise says, Night is far spent, and when night is almost over, light is breaking and is on the way. And as night is coming to an end, it's time to get out of bed. It's time to shake off the sleep of the evening and the nighttime. And it is time to step out into the daylight. After the last few days, Thanksgiving and everything else, we've probably had our share of reluctant mornings, of not wanting necessarily to be in a hurry to get out of bed and get on with the day because everything was so full. And so note this idea of the carousing, the drunkenness, the celebrating, the fighting. All of those things that are so common with us. The way we recklessly prepare for Christmas with holiday parties that are self-indulgent. The way we lose ourselves seeking material things to give one another, which isn't bad, except it closes us off to seeking the better things to share among ourselves and to fill our hearts with. Note how St. Paul names these realities. And the way our petty gossiping our petty arguing the fact that we have this lingering lack of forgiveness among ourselves even in our homes all of these things are the things of night the things of darkness but that time is passing away and when the sun finally breaks all of a sudden there will be no room for those things and no place for those things And those who find that their lives are filled with them will find themselves suddenly lost and suddenly empty. What a remarkable and challenging statement that is. And so now we come working backwards to our first reading. Because the first reading, the reading with which Advent begins in a certain level gives us the very essence of the season. And note how Isaiah the prophet's bold vision speaks. The mountain of the Lord's house will be raised up. Not a coming from outside, but something rising up. And this place where the Lord will dwell, rising higher than all of the other mountains and all of the other hills. In other words, it will become visible. Nothing will be taller than it. It will be higher than all things like a light or a beacon. And what do we hear? People aren't going to be waiting, but rather on seeing this event, they're going to move and the nations will come and they're going to say, if the Lord is here, if the Lord is near, the time of waiting Is over and the time of moving to meet him has begun. And that is Advent. Advent is not the time of sitting and waiting, Advent is four weeks of getting up and moving so that we can meet the Lord when he comes. The readings of Advent, if you pay close attention to them, Sunday after Sunday and on the weekdays, are readings that are filled with action and with movement. As the Lord draws close, the people get up and they move. It is not merely that the Lord comes to us where we're sitting, it is rather that the Lord draws near enough that we can get up out of our seats, out of our rest, out of our homes and go to him. And there's a beauty about Advent, it is not just one or two individuals privately seeing something, rather it is the people begin to move and what unites the people is that they all move together from whatever direction they are moving, there is a togetherness because all are moving to the Lord. The one who doesn't move is the one who is left behind. The one who doesn't move is the one who is lost. And so one of the other elements of Advent is this remarkable language of healing, which will run through our readings. And so note, if the issue is to get up and move, the readings also say, and the lame will walk, and the blind will see. And the deaf will hear. In other words, the drawing near of the Lord implies a certain healing so that those who long to approach him are set free so that they can do so. Advent is also the season where the spiritually lame can begin to run with greater freedom. Advent is the season where the morally blind can have their eyes begin to open. Advent is the season where those who are deaf to compassion can experience the opening of their ears. Note how wonderful that is. Note how wonderful that is. It's as if you begin to be healed in the doctor's waiting room before the doctor ever gets to you. Note how marvelous that is, that Over these four weeks, this is how we pray. Over these four weeks, this is what we're about. That is why then at the very beginning of Mass, what you said amen to is so important. And because our memories can often be short, let's take a moment and revisit what it is we committed ourselves to, what it is we were asking for, because when we ask for something, it always is a good idea to have a sense of what it is. Grant your faithful, we pray, Almighty God. So note the language, grant, give to us. We don't deserve it, we haven't earned it, but we want you to give it to us. The resolve, so give us, a resolute, a firm, a committed heart. So we're asking God because we don't have enough resolve on our own. So you give us, O Lord, the firmness of purpose to run forth to meet your Christ. Note how Advent begins with our asking for the desire to run, not to sit, not to wait, not to walk, but to run, which means to move with freedom and to move with swiftness, to move with energy. What a marvelous description of the spiritual life. To respond to the Lord with freedom, with swiftness, and with energy. And we want the resolve to do that. In other words, I want to commit myself to being ready for that, like an athlete in training almost. But we're not done yet to run forth to meet your Christ. And when we meet Christ, what are we supposed to do? What do you think? If you had to run forth to meet Christ, what should you do when you get there? I don't know. I don't know. That's, you know that's a really good answer. You know who else has that answer? Everybody else here in the room. <laughs> think about that for a second, you know? Because we, we, live, we live in the abstract sometimes, don't we? Run forth and meet Jesus. And like, it's almost like that proverbial expression of the dog when it finally catches the car. And now what do I do with it? (laughs) You know, run forth and meet Jesus. What do you do when you get to him? What an interesting question that is. If you're running forth to meet Christ, what are you doing when you get there? How are you running toward him? And so our prayer at the beginning of Mass And so sometimes it helps to imagine these things, you know, all these people running to meet Jesus, and it's a marvelously chaotic image and yet a beautiful image, and yet the prayer continues. It's not just about running to get there. We want to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds. In other words, we're bringing him something we run forth to meet him with goodness, with goodness we have actually done. Not goodness we've been thinking about getting around to, but goodness that we've done. That when he comes, we want to meet him and present to him the goodness we have done in our living because of him. What a marvelously beautiful prayer that is. And know how it cuts against the grain of assuming that when Jesus comes, the first thing that happens is he gives us something? Rather that when he comes, our going to him also involves our bringing something to, the best of ourselves. And the best of ourselves is not some abstract aspect of character. The best of ourselves is what we do with our living. Let us resolve to meet him with righteous deeds with good things that we do when when he comes. Because the simple fact of the matter is as the Lord draws near, the gifts already begin to come to us. The grace to move, the freedom to run toward him, the light that restores our sight and heals our blindness, the healing touch of his grace, this already draws near. And as we move with it, we long for that to bear fruit so that we can come to the Lord and say, you've set me free to run. And look what I've been able to do with the freedom you've given me. You've set me free to see. And because I can now see, look what I've been able to do because of you. And what a great way to meet the Lord that is. We rush to meet him so that we can present to him the goodness that he's allowed us to do that's how Advent begins. What a remarkably beautiful prayer. That in no small measure is why we have certain changes that take place during Advent. For example, you noticed at Mass today, we didn't sing the Gloria as we normally do. We'll get that back on Christmas. In a sense, over these four weeks, We get ready to sing with greater vigor, greater strength, and greater freedom the song by which the angels celebrated the birth of Jesus. We purify ourselves for that, so that when we sing it again, it's stronger, it's deeper, it's richer, it's more joyful. And then we have our wreath with its candles. And we light these candles week by week across the four weeks of Advent. And note how wonderful this is, because physically in the world around us, the days get shorter and the nights get longer. To the eye, darkness is growing. And yet in that growing darkness, we strike a fire and we light a candle. And when all is dark, a single candle has great power. And did you ever notice, whether it's during a blackout or anything else, If we just have one candle and it's lit, notice how everybody in the house gathers around that candle. The striking of the light, the lighting of the candle is the sign that even in the darkness, it's time to move. It's time to gather. And that even in the darkness, it is possible to see in the light of the nearness of Christ. And as the days get shorter, as the darkness grows, Curiously, the Lord draws closer, like the sun preparing to rise in the morning. And as the Lord draws closer, the light of his presence increases until finally we arrive at the end of the season and we are ready to celebrate that great day on which the light of his face is physically visible in this world for the first time. And in doing so, in our joy of remembering that first light of the infant's face, our hearts are stirred and renewed to look forward to that great and glorious light of his face that will shine across the heavens in a way that no one will be able to miss when all things are made new in him. And who wouldn't want to be ready for that day? And that's the thing. That's the thing. The Lord speaks that way not to frighten us, but to remind us that a greatness, a goodness so wonderful as that calls out the best of us and we want to be ready to meet it. We don't want to be left behind when such a glory, such a goodness, such a victory, and such a joy is present. So we're gonna practice because in just a few minutes From this altar, you're going to hear me say something. And I'm going to say, behold the Lamb of God. And the light of his face in the blessed sacrament is going to shine forth from this altar to you. And Jesus Christ, great and powerful, is going to be right here. And what's going to happen? He's going to come down from that altar and stand at the front of the church. Note, Jesus comes to you. But notice he doesn't come to your bench. He doesn't come to your chair. He comes here. And what do you need to do? Get up and move. And notice how wonderful it is. From whatever direction we came today, we're all here. And in just a few minutes, however different our life, our life situations are, we'll get up and we'll move as one to him. And we'll stretch out our hands and we'll receive him. And this is good practice for getting our hearts ready for that great day when he comes in his fullness to take us with him into the brightness of his glory. But today, the light of the son of justice shines in your heart as you receive him. Let your face shine upon us. Indeed, Lord, we shall be saved.